You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. Today, we are going to look at the most significant person in the history of the world, Jesus. And the most significant event in the history of the world, his resurrection. And why is today so important? Because the foundational fact of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus. Literally, if Jesus is still dead, then everything falls apart for the Christian faith. So you see, Christianity isn't just about faith. It's about a fact. And so we're going to pick back up in the Gospel of John in the 19th chapter before we actually get to the resurrection story. And John begins in verse 38 by this. Later. Okay, one word. I got one word out. I'm going to pause. (laughs) So Jesus was born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, which were fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures. He began his public ministry at age 30, called 12 men to be his disciples, to show and tell everyone in the world that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. But one of those 12 was a counterfeit disciple, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus to the political and religious authorities. The whole problem, they said, is that Jesus kept saying he was God. He was and is, you know. But those in authority didn't understand him that way. So Jesus was arrested, beaten, tried, flogged, crucified. And at this point, Jesus has died on the cross. Later, Joseph of Arimathea, he would be one of those that would come along and say, yeah, I love Jesus, but just kind of a shadow disciple. I'm not going to say publicly I'm on team Jesus till now. He comes out of the shadows at this point, and he's going to serve Jesus following Jesus' death. So later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. When Pilate, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. This was recorded in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, a religious leader, had questions about Jesus. He had questions for Jesus. So back in chapter 3, Nicodemus meets Jesus late one night because Nicodemus doesn't want anybody else to know that he is hanging out with Jesus Well, Nick at night shows back up again. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Well, we're told in Matthew's gospel that this new tomb actually belonged to Nicodemus. He 
loaned it to Jesus. Um, sorry, it belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. He loaned it to Jesus. It, it was like the first Airbnb. Jesus only needed it for two nights. <laughs> but because it was the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. All right, the first thing we need to establish is that Jesus died. We hit on this last week, but we cannot miss the significance of this. Jesus died, and how do we know? First of all, many men did not survive the flogging that Jesus endured. On top of that, no one survives crucifixion. The Romans made sure. And in Jesus' case, a Roman soldier took a spear piercing Jesus' heart sack where blood and water both flowed from his side. And remember, the author of this gospel, John, was there. He was an eyewitness to the crucifixion. He saw all of it happen. So the first thing we establish is that Jesus did die. The second thing is the place of the burial was well known. Now, this was not a secret. This was not a private event. The death of Jesus was as public as it could be. In addition, Nicodemus knows where Jesus is buried. The tomb belongs to Joseph of Arimathea. Of course, he knows where, the t- where Jesus is buried. Furthermore, Roman guards are stationed outside the tomb. And Matthew and Mark tell us that several women saw them lay Jesus in the tomb. So number one, Jesus died. Number two, it was very easy to discover where he was buried. Number three, nobody worshiped at that tomb. Today, we don't know where Jesus' burial site was. You know, when a famous person dies, especially if they are a public figure, everyone knows because that tomb has been enshrined and people visit, cards, flowers, memorials, Where is Elvis buried? Graceland, thank you. Do we know where Queen Elizabeth is buried? We do. At the King George VI Memorial Chapel in Windsor, England, and people start going there. Everybody knew where Jesus was buried, but today, no one's sure. And I'll tell you why no one knows, because he wasn't there. It didn't matter where he was buried because he's not still buried. Let me tell you why this is significant. There are four major world religions that have a person as their founder, not just an ideology. All but one of those four, we know exactly where their founder is buried because it is a holy site that's enshrined that people visit. I'll give you those other three. Those who are Jewish will trace their heritage back to Abraham. He is buried in Hebron. It is a holy site, a place where people go for a pilgrimage. Buddhism, founded by Buddha. He's buried in China. There is a huge shrine for him, and people will make that trip to that burial site. Muslims trace their history to Muhammad. He's buried in Medina. 
Again, it is a holy site that people from all over the world travel to. Then there's Jesus, who doesn't have an enshrined tomb. You know why? Because he walked away from it. Even in Jesus' day, some 50 religious leaders died, and they all had enshrined tombs where their followers would come to that place and bring flowers and memorials Now, Jesus died. He was buried. People knew exactly where he was buried, but we no longer know because Jesus is no longer there. This is a foundational fact of the Christian faith. And all of this is in fulfillment of Scripture. If you're new, this is the Word of God. In its original writing, it is the only perfect thing on earth. For God wrote this book through human authors. At the time of its writing, some 25% of its content was prophetic in nature, meaning that it was preparing God's people for the future that God had planned. And much of that prophecy in this book is about Jesus. I'll give you one example from Isaiah, who writes 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. Isaiah 53, verses 8 and 9. But just before we get there, if you want to have your mind blown today, go home and read the last half of Isaiah 52 and all of 53. And it will give you in great detail about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus 700 years in advance. But here's the one portion that I wanted to show you this morning. By oppression and judgment, so Jesus was arrested and tried in an unfair way. He was taken away, for he was cut off from the land of the living. What does that mean? He's going to die. For, and this is why, for the transgression of my people, God is speaking through Isaiah, for the transgression of my people, he was punished. He would die in our place for our sin. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. He was executed between two thieves and with the rich in his death. God is speaking through Isaiah and saying, when Jesus dies, a rich man is going to give him a tomb. You know, some people say, Well, Jesus just knew the scriptures so well, so he just matched up his life to coincide with the Old Testament prophecies. All right, well, let me tell you this. The Bible prophesied that his mom would be a virgin. The Bible prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem. The Bible prophesied that after he died, a rich man would give him a tomb. You and I try to control so many things. You know what you can't control? What happens before and after your life? You can't control who your mom is. You can't control where you'll be born. Jesus fulfills this prophecy completely outside of his ability to control unless he was and is God. So one more line from Isaiah 53, 9. Though he had done no violence nor any deceit in his mouth, his words, his works, 
were sinless. He would die for our sin. Now comes the sermon. (laughs) That was just the introduction. (laughs) I think I heard a yay from the choir. That's now on record. Let us look at the resurrection of Jesus. John chapter 20 opens this way. Early on the first day of the week. That's a Sunday. This is why Christians meet on Sunday. It's because of the day of Jesus' resurrection. On the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. The first person to pay respects is a woman. This is honoring of this woman and honoring of all women. She's going there to grieve. She's going there to mourn. She goes, and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Imagine the, the disorientation for her. Like, what's happened? So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Now, that's John, the author of this gospel. That's how he includes himself in the story. He puts himself in as third person. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus loved John and not the others or loved John more than the others. It's just John's way of describing his relationship. I am loved by Jesus. And I want that. I want to encourage you. That's who you need to see yourself as. You are one that Jesus loves. So she came running to Simon Peter and and John and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. She doesn't fully understand the resurrection yet. The body's gone, but, but what's going on? So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Why did Peter finish last? You may say, well, he got there second. Yeah, there were only two of them. He finished last. Speculation is because Peter was older. John, perhaps much younger. Both were running. But John got there first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. So John is the first to get there. He looks in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. (laughs) It's like Jesus got up and made his bed. You know, this is one one more example of him being perfect. Just saying. Finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Now, John's the first believer. He's the first to get it. Like, oh, I'm sort of remembering what Jesus said. It finishes by saying they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Looking at this like a case study, let me point out some things that are significant. Significant. 
Number one, the first person at the tomb was a woman. Which in that culture, women were not given the same legal standing as men. So if this were a fabricated story, if if I'm just going to make up a story, I'm not going to have it that the women were the first witnesses. Because their testimony was not legally standing. Second thing of significance. The men who were also there as eyewitnesses. We need to look at their character. John and, and Peter. These are good men, godly men, devout men. These are men who have given up their careers to serve Jesus. They have spent years serving the poor and needy and loving and serving. These are men of high integrity and high character. In addition, if they're going to worship Jesus as God, remember, these are devoutly religious Jewish men. That had to mean that the resurrection changed everything for them. A third significant piece of this story. The stone was removed. Now, this is a legal matter. The Roman government saw to the execution of Jesus. The Roman government released his body. The Roman government knew where the body was laid. They put a seal of the Roman government over the entrance meaning this is now property of the Roman government. And then they put soldiers to guard in defense of it. This is almost like a crime scene where the the police have cordoned it off and the police are, are stationed there. This is no longer public. This is now a private state matter and they have jurisdiction over this area. So it is a big deal that the soldiers are gone and the stone is rolled away for all this to occur. Number four, the grave clothes were not stolen. The grave clothes were what were of value. If a grave robber broke in, and let me just say this, if you were to break into someone's tomb and there's a dead body and possessions, which one do you take? They leave behind what's of value. That means someone didn't break in. It means that someone broke out. All of this, again, is in fulfillment of Scripture. I want to encourage you to trust God's Word. I want to encourage you to read God's Word A thousand years before Jesus walked the earth, Psalm 16 verse 10 says, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Who truly is the Holy One? Jesus. All of us are unholy. So the Holy One is going to come. He's going to be put in a grave and he is going to get out of the grave. God, a thousand years in advance, told us exactly who Jesus was and what he was going to do. Let me show you another one. Back to Isaiah 53. Again, 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. Remember, Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. He was crushed. It was also the Lord's will to cause him to suffer. Physical 
pain and anguish so strong that Jesus sweats drops of blood. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he himself is not a sinner, but he dies in our place for our sins. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. He's going to die. His days are going to come to an end. And then he's going to get more days. That's the resurrection. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The goal is to save sinners and reconcile our relationship with our God. Sin separates us from God. Sin brings death. And God comes near us to conquer death. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. He is bringing an end to sin. He is forgiving sin. He is conquering, defeating death. It goes on. After he has suffered... He will see the light of life and be satisfied. That means he'll be back. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities, their sins. Here's what the Lord is saying. I'm going to send my righteous one. He's going to come to serve people. He's going to be dying for them. He will suffer and then he will conquer death. He will have life when his life ends. And because of him, you and I get counted among the righteous. You don't need to try to make yourself good. If you believe in Jesus, he gives you his righteousness. He takes your sin and gives you his righteousness. And he goes to the cross and to the grave. And then he rises from death to take you into his presence forever. Dear friends, we're not Jews. We're not Buddhists. We're not Muslims. We're Christians. We follow a man who is alive. His name is Jesus. He is God who became a man to live the life that we have not lived. That is the perfect life. To die the death that we deserved, that is for our sins, and to give us the gift that we cannot earn. Salvation and a right relationship with God. He is Lord, God, King, Savior, and He is living right now. Ruling, reigning from a throne right now. Willing to forgive all sinners and sin right now. Willing to give the gift of eternal life right now. Do you know that? Do you believe in Jesus? If not, you can do that right now. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.